0: Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you that we gather Sunday by Sunday to come and feast on your words, to come together as a church family. And that we pray by your Holy Spirit that you would speak into our hearts, speak into our hopes and our fears, into our present and our future. By your grace we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome once again as we come before God's Word into this series in the Psalms. Today we're, we're in Psalm 43, a psalm which is in a little group of psalms of lament. And as I begin, I, I wonder who here pays any attention to newspaper cartoons, Matt Pritchett is one such newspaper cartoonist. He draws at least six cartoons every day, he shares them with his colleagues to help him decide which one is most amusing, and then chooses the favourite to be printed for the following day. The key, he says, to a good cartoon is drawing something which is both funny and true. Funny and true. And one of my favorites that I've seen is of a man holding a placard which says, everything may be okay, with two people walking past, one commenting, lunatic. Funny and yet so true. Everything may be okay. Maybe that's what you were thinking just now as the fire alarm went off. Everything may be okay. It's like when you're on a plane and you're, you're looking at the cabin crew to see if they are panicking. Are the Cornerstone welcome team still smiling? Hope. I remember a friend at school chatting to me late into the night. Uh, out of nowhere he says, Phil, how come you seem so hopeful all the time? And I'm thinking to myself, you've caught me on a good day. In our culture today, it's so countercultural to have hope, isn't it? To be hopeful about life, that despite the, the bad news, there is good news. Despite the struggles that we face each day, that one day, if we trust Jesus Christ, we will be in a place of everlasting peace and joy and hope. And yet, at the same time, we can't enjoy hope now. Hope is good for us. It's good for our souls. And this morning, we're going to take a little bit of time to think about what can happen if we neglect the things that are good for our souls. What happens when we neglect God? Or, well, like the psalmist, we feel neglected by Him. For some of us, this... Feeling of being far away from God will be quite familiar, quite current. For others, it might be something that you've observed in the lives of those around you the downcast, spiritually dry seasons. I think it's important to say that as I read these verses, I don't think the psalm is talking specifically about clinical depression. There are many others in this congregation who would be far more qualified to speak on that subject. I don't think it's about clinical depression or or low moods. This is a spiritual problem. This is spiritual depression. At some point in your life, for many of you, you will look for God. And it will be as if, it will feel as if you cannot find him. You will look for God, and you will struggle to see his hand at work. Some of us will experience significant seasons like this, spiritual dryness. The previous Psalm um, 42 was probably connected to this one in some of the original scrolls. That's what we see, and it begins famously, As the deer pants for streams of water... So my soul thirsts for you, longs for you, my God. Here we meet a friend who is thirsty for God, longing for God. We meet him in the Psalms. Many of the Psalms are like this. John Calvin, the reformer, said that the Psalms are like an anatomy of the soul. That's what we see as, we, as they talk about the experience, every experience the soul could face. Every part of who we are, I think, is some, in some ways reflected in these words. It's unfolded here. And as we think about the condition that the psalmist is, is facing here, we're going to spend some time thinking about, about the cures, the antidotes that we see which are shared with us in these verses let me remind ourselves of those opening verses in Psalm 43 vindicate me my god and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked you are god my stronghold why have you rejected me my must i go by this morning oppressed by the enemy send me your light and your faithful care, let them lead me, let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. He finds himself here in a, in a tricky place, but not an unfamiliar place to us today. We see there in verse 1 an unfaithful nation, verse 1. Amongst those who deceive, those who are just plain evil. How does the psalmist respond to the situations he faced, this tricky spot? Well, he prays that God would change things. He wants vindication. It's a word that we don't often use, but what does it mean? It means to be cleared of blame, publicly declared right. And so he recognizes God is the one who can do that. God is the one who can vindicate. He is the one who justifies us. He is the one who makes us right. And so the psalmist is asking God to change his situation so that everyone would see that God is right, that God is trustworthy, that God is the one who rescues us from the wicked and those who deceive us, that God is who he says he is. That's such an interesting place to be given what he's been going through. I think if I'm honest, the temptation for me might be to want God to change the situation just so everyone would give me a break. Or so that the spotlight would shift onto something or someone else. But the psalmist wants God to be honored in the midst of his trouble. He wants God to be lifted up as he rescues. That God would receive all the glory and not him. In this dark place, he wants to be rescued. As we look at the pages of God's word, isn't that what God does again and again? Continually rescuing his people, guiding them, leading them. And we see here God as the stronghold, the safe place away from the enemies, from the tyrants of the world. But do you see that contrast there in verse two? You are my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? What we see here is the psalmist has a divided heart. His heart is is torn in two. Part of his heart, it seems, is right now, despite the situation, the mess that he faces, the darkness and the troubles that he's in, part of his heart is taking refuge in God. God has not let him go. And he has not let God go. But at the same time, he is confused that God would seem to let his enemies get the upper hand. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning? You know, in our experience as a church family, I think we're very good at wearing the what I call the I'm fine sign. The I'm fine sign, have you experienced that? Maybe here at church on a Sunday, you have a chat with someone, how are you getting on? Oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. And I had a church chat with someone recently and I asked them how they were doing and I was probably expecting the the I'm fine sign. I was quite taken aback when they said, hmm, things are pretty awful really. Life hurts quite a lot just now. And actually that honesty is quite refreshing it reminds me that we all need the gentleness of Jesus and actually how ungentle, how careless sometimes we can be when someone is experiencing that season of pain. Trite words which can do more harm than good. You should be doing this. You shouldn't be feeling that anymore. And worse, just stop wallowing. Friends, God will never treat you that way. He will never treat you that way. Every single tear we have ever shed is completely known to our Heavenly Father. I don't know where we get the idea that that pain shouldn't feel so painful if we are a Christian. If I hit my thumb with a hammer, it hurts just as well as it does everybody else. God's call for the hurting is to come to him, come to his shelter, come and find rest in him until these storms have passed. The psalmist here has a divided heart. His heart is torn between celebrating the faithfulness of God and yet feeling abandoned and rejected by him. I think that's not an uncommon experience for many Christians today. Our hearts are torn. And yet we even hear it in scripture. We see in Mark 9, the man in Mark 9, who says to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. Romans 7, Paul writes, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. We're divided. So what is the remedy for our souls? What will heal our hearts which are divided and torn? Well, I think if you look at these psalms together up to this point, the psalmist has been through various experiences. He's complained, he's wept, he's reminisced before God. But he has not prayed to him. But now he sets to to do that, to put that right. So as we think about the condition of the psalmist, let's think about the cure And the two prescriptions I see in this, this psalm, two applications, talk to God, firstly. Secondly, talk to yourself. Firstly, he talks to God. He makes his requests known to him there in verse 3, that God would send forth his light and his truth. There has been a need for kind of physical help, especially in Psalm 42, renewing food, Sleep to nourish his tired and hungry body, emotional renewing. Also, that God would bring him friendship and community, fellowship and accountability. But now he turns from the physical to the emotional and to the spiritual. Actually, we are people who are constructed in those ways we're physical and emotional and spiritual. And he sees that it's God who guides in his truth and in his light. And so what should our response be but to faithfully follow his lead? It's not a prayer in these verses that God would crush his enemies because the victory that he's fighting for is far more important than that. A victory that you can win even if you die. The man knows he is in the dark, and what we need to do when we're in the dark is that we would pray that God would illuminate the areas of our lives that He wants to change, that He would reveal those dark areas of our hearts—pride, lust, anger, envy—but God just doesn't just reveal the problem with His light he also shines a light on the solution. We have a greater light. Jesus Christ, the light of the world, the light that shines in the darkness, one familiar with being and feeling disheartened, discouraged, one who wept as he looked at Jerusalem. And you can imagine that he would weep as he looks at Nottingham now. He was known as a man of sorrows. And it's to him that we must turn as the cure. On a long list of alternatives, he is the one. The psalmist wants to be led. He says there that he would be, go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. The psalmist here is a longing to go back to to God's presence, to the temple, his place as a a musician, we believe. But also the place of worship of the Almighty God. More than an altar built by men, he, he wants to go to God, his joy and his delight. There is something uniquely special about what we're doing right now. Gathering together, Sunday by Sunday, by Sunday, feasting on God in his word, lifting our voices together in his praise, family, celebrating the joys, comforting one another in the trials. And on this side of the cross, we know where the altar of God really is. It's not in any earthly temple or holy sacred place. Our altar is Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended. Our altar is the one who stands before the throne of God above, the great high priest whose name is love. And there we will find our joy. John Piper comments on these verses, the psalmist knows that the ultimate battle of his life is not the defeat of his enemies, It is not escaping natural catastrophe. It is not being healed from cancer. The ultimate battle is, will God be his exceeding joy? I wonder what that looks like in your life, in your worship, in your devotion to God's. One illustration of this I found in in the life of one of our famous missionaries, um, Hudson Taylor. This is what someone wrote about Hudson Taylor in his life. He was a joyous man now, a bright, happy Christian. He had been a toiling, burdened one before with not much rest of the soul. It was rest in Jesus now and letting him do the work which makes all the difference. Whenever he spoke in meetings after that, a new power seemed to flow from him. And in the practical things of life, a new peace possessed him. How was his faith strengthened? Not by striving after faith, but by resting on the faithful one. There is a man who talks to God He talks to God. Secondly, he talks to himself. He preaches to himself. We can't overlook how deeply influenced by the world around us we really are, aren't we? We're bombarded with a thousand uh, images online, offline, from the news that we watch, the people that we meet. And our attitudes, moods, beliefs, and ultimately our actions are swayed confirmed and interpreted by the voices that we listen to. Yet no voice is more influential in our lives than our own. Paul Tripp um, echoes this as he writes, no one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. We never stop talking to ourselves. The things you say about you, God and life are profoundly important because they form and shape the way you you then respond to the things that God has put on your plate. Talk to yourself. Maybe you're thinking, finally, permission, I've been talking to myself for years. Now in church we're encouraged to do it, but the Bible says it's fine, so it must be fine we see the psalmist has this repeating refrain and it happens uh, three times across Psalm 42 and 43. It's almost like the chorus of a song repeated again and again. And we see it there in verse five of Psalm 43. These questions. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my savior, and my God. It's like the psalmist is rallying to himself. I think it's almost like he's saying, why on earth could you be possibly downcast if you really realize the reality of God? Remember where your hope is. He's preaching to himself. He's questioning his unbelief. He's questioning the struggle he faces, and he's challenging the state of his heart Maybe we need to spend less time listening to ourselves and more time talking about the things of God. There is a difference, I think, between reading the Bible and preaching it to ourselves. When we read it, we remind ourselves of what is true. When we preach it to ourselves, we press it in a bit further. We remind ourselves that this is not dead truth, but it's living and active. We remind ourselves that behind the truth, there is a holy God. And as we begin to apply the truth of the Bible to our situations, our weaknesses, our worries. So as you talk to God, talk to yourself about him. As we close, I'm I'm conscious that this theme of hope, I may be feeling quite hopeless, might feel quite raw for some of us here this morning. Hear this encouragement. I heard the story of a picture that was hung in an art gallery. It was a beautiful photo, day by day, week by week. People walked past the photo, commenting to each other just how beautiful this picture was. Detail. Some said, I, I love the lighting. I love the depth of the colors. Until one day, unexpectedly, as someone commented on the beauty of the picture, the picture spoke. It talked back to the couple who were looking at it, admiring it. One day the picture said, I was an undeveloped film. The photography process has changed a lot, hasn't it, over the years, but, but still some people shoot on film cameras and develop their own pictures. The photo continued to speak. I was an undeveloped film until the photographer took me into a dark room. He dipped me in a tray of hot acid, and it burned. It hurt. I kept asking the photographer to take me out of the tray, but it wasn't time. I needed longer to develop. Then one day, I came out of the dark room. I looked in the mirror, and oh, what a beautiful picture I'd become. And then I thought for a moment, began to understand I would never have been so beautiful if someone hadn't taken me, dipped me into something I did not like, and then brought me out of the dark into the light. The Lord Jesus, he knows us. He knows what it's like to be us. He knows what it's like to be you, what you face. And if you stay close to Jesus, close to God, then there will be progress. The hidden years of waiting will not be wasted. Maybe you need to come to him, even for the first time today. Come and say to him, I want to live my life. I want to be developed by you. Through the good times the hard times and maybe you feel the sting of these tough times already that God is developing that picture in all of us who trust in him and one day when the picture is ready when the picture is developed it will be taken out of the tray taken into the light and what we see will be beautiful because it will not look like us it will look like him I wonder in church this morning if we have folks who are feeling the weight of the divided hearts. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. You know, maybe the most important thing from these verses that we could hear is that there is a strong sense of the sovereignty of God over our lives and over our future. We know that no matter what the dark clouds over life are today, they will not last forever. Maybe not even until tomorrow. We know that God is sovereign, he is in control, and the future is in his hands. There is no greater thing than to know this hope. He is our hope. Amen. Let us pray. Father, you know the precise circumstances which each soul here this morning faces. Thank you that before you we do not need to pretend. Lord, teach us to wait. Teach us to hope. And Thank you that you are in the darkness with us and that you will bring us through. In Jesus' name, amen.